Welcome to How to Live Podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd, a series to help us see who we are made to be so we can do what we are made to do. Hello, this is Dr. Chip Dodd. Welcome to the How to Live Podcast Uncut. Thank you for uh, participating in the podcast. Whenever I do a podcast, I always have this thought that goes through my mind, and it's an old story, which uh, I'm reminded of that always makes what I'm doing worth it. And it's the story of the starfish or starfishes. There was a a big storm one night on a beach uh, at the ocean, and um, a little child, six-year-old child, went out to the beach in the morning to play and looked out at the shore and saw thousands of starfish that had washed up on the shore. And they were uh, moving about with their tentacles, and the child could tell by looking at them that they, they needed to be back where they came from to go into the water. And so the child, in recognizing through empathy uh, nature's pain and the seeking of a solution to it, uh, picked up one starfish and 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 his little hands and ran it out to the edge of the water, dropped it in, <clears throat> ran back up to the shoreline where the starfishes were, got another one and took it out into the water and continued this process time after time after time and forgetting all sense of play because he had this incredible sense of purpose re- directly related to this burgeoning se- sense of human passion. He was willing to, quote, be in pain for something that mattered more than the pain because he's literally created for it. Believe it or not, even fun has a lot to do with passion. So an old, old man was walking down the beach. He had been retired for many years and he had done his thing and he was finished and he found his place to go so that he could be removed from being bothered by the things of life because he had decided on some cynical level that, you know, he was done, and there was nothing could be done about it, whatever that it happens to be. So he was teetering down the beach, and he saw the child running back and forth, back and forth, carrying a starfish, one starfish at a time, out to the water. And then he thought, well, I need I need to let this child in on this. He needs to know, because the, actually the old man was bothered by the child's persistence and the child's taking on what he recognized as a a hopeless task, even a tragic task, and he wanted to give wisdom to the child. He walks up to the child and who who uh, stopped for just a moment, looked up into the face of the old man, see his, the sun rising back behind his head, and just kind of squinted at the old man holding a starfish in his hand, whose tentacles were moving about in need of the waters. And so the old man said, "Son." Don't you know that that's not going to do any good? Or daughter or young girl, young boy, don't you know that that's not going to do any good? That's not going to matter. And the little boy, a little girl, whichever one it happens to be, looked up at the old man and thought for just a second, there's authority talking to me as I have been begin to be trained about what authority is, and decided that life mattered more than cynicism on some level, that the heart of how he was created or how she was created mattered more than the old man's words. And what appeared to be disobedience, the child said, it matters to this one. 
and then ran out to the ocean's edge and dropped the starfish in the waters. And at the same time, the old man just walked away, sort of exasperated with the child's behavior. And what the truth was that the child's behavior was directly connected to true obedience. He was listening to how he or she was created. The child was listening to how he or she was made and acting accordingly based upon the heart. And the word obedience actually means to listen, to listen to true authority that ends up agreeing with how we're created, truly how we're created. So anyway, every time I do a podcast, I don't know who's listening. I don't know how many people are listening. I don't know how many people actually end up sharing it or telling it to someone else. But I always think about that starfish. And I always do it for the starfish. I always do it for the one. And even the times when I have been discouraged and struggling, uh, 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 whenever I speak to a group or an audience or go on and do the next thing, I always think uh, there's one. There's some one that needs or wants or hungers to hear what I also hungered to hear and needed and wanted uh, so many years ago when I got hope back um, in uh, actually 1989. So with this said, there's a friend of mine, Todd P. Todd, this uh, podcast is for you, and I hope the rest of you will get something from it. Todd asked me some time ago, he said, what's that story? Will you, where can I find that story that you tell about the book of Genesis and creation? And I said, I, I don't know anywhere that it's recorded, but I'll do a podcast for you. He said, please do. So this podcast is for Todd. It's about the book of Genesis, creation. More than anything, it is about uh, the reality that in spite of our rejection of how we're created, God has not stopped asking us the most essential question that we need to answer to be able to show up completely and fully in life so that we can live fully, that we can love deeply, and we can leave well, leaving our fingerprints on a starfish that was in need. So with that said, I want to talk about in the book of Genesis, the very beginning, that it says in the, in the first verse that, that in the beginning, in the very beginning, in the inception of everything, that love and power and the presence of God hovered over and reached out and created all over. And then at the end of this creative movement, God created us as image bearers of him and creation itself. And we were called the greatest creation, the greatest achievement, described as very good. There was a man and a woman, the Adam and the Eve. And this story is the most elegant, possibly the most sophisticated, ancient story that's still being lived out today. And it still is true as it was then. And it reveals our problem, and it also reveals our solution. And in, in the beginning, there was the evening, and there was the morning, and on the sixth day. And then God was everywhere, involved in everything, and everything was full of the dynamite of life and loving. And then uh, God got with us and said that we had an assignment, and our assignment was to create and to care and to grow and to be emissaries of life and life to the full. So we were to make and shape and do and steward 
and touch and, and name and grow and expand everything that we were actually created with the impulse to do, even compelled to do. And it says that God met them in the cool of the day, and they talked to each other as a friend to a friend, and that God delighted in us. And we talked about wisteria and palm trees. We talked about stars and meadows. We talked about the birds' names and the plant names. And we made plans among us to expand and to shape and to make more. And God was so delighted and so curious about what we were going to do with how he made us to be. And we were bearing the image of creation relationally. We were delighted and hopeful. We were longing and feeling and needing, and we were desiring creatures, image bearers of creation, creating, and image bearers of relationship, the heart of God, the Imago Dei. And it was very, very good. But then a problem occurred. The first two chapters of this book, this most beautiful Edenic story, the first two chapters are magnificent. And then the third chapter, there is a beginning of the, 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 the clouds, the lightning, uh, the, the problem. And it says that there was the deceiver, a deceiver, a figurer came into the garden and said to them, are you so sure? Did God really say? And in that process, casted distrust amidst trust, casted suspicion into intimacy casted the recognition of an opportunity for these people to actually take their fear, take their distrust, and go to the one who made them like they are, were, and speak. But instead of speaking and listening to their feelings, their needs, their desire, their longings, and their hope, they ended up suppressing how they're created. They went from feeling to figuring. They climbed the ladder from their hearts, so to speak, into their brains, and they thought, hmm, perhaps God isn't who God says God is. Perhaps we're being tricked or fooled. And suspicion took the place of, of love, of the cry out, of how we're created. Because you've heard me do a podcast before called the App about the Apgar, that we're literally created before we can even think, before we can talk. We're created for the cry out the reach out and the taking in. We're created to ask, seek, and knock. And we're created to receive. And we're created to find. And we're created to be brought in and fed. And out of that fullness, go out and feed. To grow into who we're made to be so that we can create and shape and make and extend and expand everything we're made like. But instead of crying out, we hid out. Instead of speaking up, we figured and we used our brains in the very beginning to hide our hearts instead of using our brains to cry out with our hearts. And then everything began to change. God comes into the garden to meet them at the cool of the day. And in Genesis 3:9, one of the most profound statements in the history of literature, in the history of writing, in the history of relationship, God comes into the garden to meet them to delight, to share, to talk, to expand, to plan, to make and do, and to be curious and to join and to fellowship. And instead, he comes into the garden and the people he's made aren't there to be found. 
They're hiding geographically. They're hiding behind. They're withdrawn. And God makes a statement. He says, the first question God ever asks is, where are you? We hope that you are benefiting from this podcast. If you are interested in more material from Dr. Dodd, please go to chipdodd.com or Sage Hill Podcasts. Thank you for listening. We now return to the rest of the podcast. And in that word, I've done a podcast on it before called Ayika, or where are you? And the word is Hebrew word, and it's a lament. It's what every parent or every child or every marital couple, when they see the distancing or the removal, the preoccupation, the uh, sort of the isolation, the um, withdrawal of whom they love, they ask the question, Ayika, which is, where are you? And it's not a question geographical or asking for thoughts. It's asking for the Apgar. Where's your heart? Where's your cry out? Where's your truth about yourself? Where's your delight or where's your grief? Where has your where have your emotions gone? And what's stopping you from speaking them? What's stopping you from talking about your desire as a friend to a friend? That we're no longer connected. So God comes into the garden and he says this most profound thing. He says, Aika which is a lament. Now, we know that God is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. And at the same time, God is extraordinarily relational and capable of extraordinary love, Uh, whatever is beyond the word extraordinary. And I think so often the word is hesed, H-E-S-S-E-D, that does not have a really good English translation It's all-encompassing love, all-encompassing care, goodness, and kindness. And so God comes into the garden and asks the most incredible question that God still asks today. And anyone who loves another person or wants for another person will ask the same question when they see them removed. And it is a lament, almost a dirge, because God knows in his omniscience that everything has officially changed. And that which he knew was coming that he did not want to happen has happened. But he already has a plan for what is going to occur called the road to redemption. But anyway, God asks the question, and there is silence in the garden, and God waits. And then finally, the man says to God the truth. He answers the question, and that is the new beginning. That is the movement towards reconciliation. Because the man said, I was afraid. So I hid. I was ashamed because I became conscious of what it's like to be so limited, to be removed, to be hidden, to be distrustful, to be gone, to be capable of using my face to hide my heart. And so what happened was, instead of using his brain to hide out, Adam had this extraordinary moment of humanity, of humility, of recognizing that from dust he came and to dust he would go, that he was not God, but in need of God, that he was relational as an image bearer of God, in need of relationship, incapable and unable and really unwilling to live alone because it's not good to live alone, this great book says. And so Adam said, I was afraid, so I hid. And at that moment, there was a conversation, 
even a form that we can call reconciliation. They met again, and God began to speak. Now, proof that these people weren't rejected is that God took his own creation and and killed animals to dress his people. And then he said, but if you stay here, if you stay in this garden, you're going to turn around and you're going to eat from the tree of life itself, the tree of eternity. And if you do that, you're going to live forever in torment. And then you will wind up being like, quote, unquote, vampires, miserable, but having the sense of, of power. And he said, get out, go out and put an angel at the edge of the garden who had a sword and the sword was swinging to to and fro, but actually every time it went towards one direction, it was pointing, pointing the path, pointing the path across the struggle, across the badlands, across the difficulties, across the tragedies, on the road to redemption, to the mountains of where freedom would come. And so they left the garden not rejected, not cursed, for who God had made them to be. They had not lost their image bearing of God, but now they were going to have to step into the tragedy of life that their removal from trust, their removal from their own hearts had actually created, that they broke it and everything broke. The universe was snapped at that point, and everything that we wish weren't here is, and then we find we are on earth And there is no cure for that except to move across the badlands, uh, living fully, loving deeply amidst the tragedy. And so they began their walk. And from then on, they have had to live in, as we have, the four realities of life that we are created capable of tolerating through relationship, but we weren't made to experience in the beginning. That's why it's always a shock to every child that ends up facing these things. That the realities of life is that one, number one is that I've done this before, but one reality of life is that the best we ever get is clumsy. We're always going to make mistakes. And so we have to learn from them instead of just live in contempt of them as we try to have perfection to, to take us away from having to be in need because we end up despising our own neediness. And look what happened that will to remove ourselves from having to be afraid and speak and be in need or having to be sad or having to be lonely. Instead of using that as a tool to speak up and to need, we use it as something contemptuous and hide from it and try to find a way around it, a form of fulfillment without having to be vulnerable, a counterfeit experience. And so we are clumsy, number one. That's a reality that nobody likes, but it's still the reality. And there is a truth, believe it or not, that can overcome it. Number two is we have to live life on life's terms, and that means a multitude of things, everything from consequences to what happens when we try to have power over to learning the difference between living truly in intimacy versus intensity, crisis versus care, a whole world of having to um, end up uh, facing the limits And yet we have eternity in our chest. So one of the things we have to be good at doing to face life on life's terms is to keep hope and at the same time be able to to have grief. Number three, all of life is practice. Doctors are practicing. 
lawyers are practicing, parents are practicing, children are practicing, even I'm practicing. It's called How to Live a Podcast Uncut. Because no matter what I do, there's going to be something that's going to be off base or scratchy or a, a cough or something. No matter how much we edit our lives, it's still practice. And uh, that actually can begin to give us some freedom. Uh, those first three things, we're going to stay clumsy. We're going to make mistakes, even though it's so painful. It's still reality. Two is that it's life on life's terms. Three is it's practice. So we're all works in progress. And the better we get at admitting our need of God and each other, the better we are at speaking up instead of hiding out, at crying out rather than hiding out, the better we are at using our brains to speak our hearts instead of using our brains to hide our hearts, the better our lives are going to be. Still in the midst of tragedy, but the starfish makes it back to the ocean because we can relate to what it's like and we can take action related to it out of empathy, out of knowing what life is like, out of compassion, wanting to do something about it, out of creativity, finding ways to create solutions amidst the destruction. And then the final reality is it takes a lifetime to learn how to live. So many times I hear uh, uh, parents talk about their parents in reference to them being grandparents. And they say, well, you know, I wish I'd had that dad or mom. And if the reality is that the grandparents, it's not just because it's easy and they can, quote, get rid of the kids and send them back once the pleasure ends. It's that they've learned more and that they're more caring. They can see their mistakes and they can offer the love that their worries took away in their earlier years. Not to be excused, to be forgiven, but they are they are learning how to live as they've lived longer, maybe. And so it does take a lifetime to learn how to live. And even that is part of the tragedy, that we don't come into life wise. We come into life in need of wisdom and learning and care. We need an old man who walks down the beach to say, let me help you. Or it, you can save all you can. Or let me go get uh, my spouse. Or let me, where's your brother and sister? Let's get them and we can take on as much as we can. And so as we close... I want us all to remember that we are not alone, nor are we made to be alone. God is still with us and continues to ask the question that allows us to come back to our senses, come back to how we're created, who we're created to be as image bearers of God himself, to connect and to live and to love and to lead to leave our fingerprints upon the starfish. So this God is never going to leave us or forsake us. Life is tragic and God is faithful. And we reconcile that struggle through struggle, through being good at being works in progress. We apply the image bearing of God to the struggle we have, to the lives we have, to the tragedy we walk in. And in the midst of that, through connecting relationally to God and others, we wind up we wind up experiencing that while life is hard and harsh, it is wonderful and full of grace. And so we have Emmanuel amidst the struggle, that God with us, and e we have each other, who are also image bearers of creation. But that return to how we're created, 
even at our own births, even thousands of years ago, returning to how we're created and not continuing to live that same thing that broke the universe in two, that changed everything from what it was intended to be to what it became. We do that by being who we're created to be, staying good at the cry out, at the speak up, continuing to trust not our image, but the image bearing of God, not our appearances, but the heart that God created that is created to speak and connect with feelings, needs, desire, longings, and hope. It never dies, though we can hide it and run from it. And there's our tragedy instead of living fully in it. So Todd P. and everybody else, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Um, If you want more information, please get The Perfect Loss. I wrote uh, some years ago about the Beatitudes and everyone's journey to return to growth begins in need. Please get The Voice of the Heart about the eight feelings that we were born with, the needs of the heart that allow us our feelings to take us to what we're really looking for so we can be full to offer, and uh, also keeping heart which returns us to the traditions and the ancient ways of how we're created and that don't ever change. Because the same question that God asked in the garden in the very beginning when when things became broken is the same question God asked today. And the same results can occur when we reunite with how we're created, who we're created to be, whose we're created to be with, and then what we're made to do. So God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. 